are listening to another episode of Rising from the Ashes. With today's guest, Star Goody. Irish connections again because they never made the, the Romans never made it to Ireland so they have the stronger traditions of 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 goddesses there's many mysterious and endless and there's no final explanation but I'd like to look at the Sheilas as really a relatively modern figure because they were you know if you go back 40,000 years to like the Chauvet cave or, you know, tens of thousands of years to Neolithic culture, 5,000 years classical culture, hundreds of years Celtic culture. So they're really a relatively modern figure. And by looking at the functions of the Sheila, then we can have a sense of uh, historical and ahistorical powers of the Volvo. And some of those powers, to me, the main power is that they're protective. Apotropaea are protective. So they protect, they're placed over entrances or doors. To me, the main power is that they're protective. Apotropaea are protective. for yourself what a Sheila Nagig actually is. This is a great conversation and a good way to kind of wrap up this theme that we've been going on this season, this 
turning of the new year, we were entering 2023, talking about Celtic mysteries, Druidic mysteries, the Tuatha de Danan, a bunch of fantastic shows. And we've ended it with two wonderful women. Maria Wheatley, which was our last episode, and today with star Goody. So it's a great way to wrap it up. Speaking of wrapping it up, my friends, today we are talking about the vulva. We're talking about the sacred matriarch, talking about the protector. And this conversation gets, gets there. It gets exactly where it needs to be. It's fantastic. I love it. Dan loves it. You're going to love it. Everybody's going to love it. So, my friends, we don't have any RFTA news today. Just some good old podcast house cleaning, some housekeeping, if you will. Make sure to join us over on the Telegram group chat where you can become a friends with Dan and myself, including all of the other wonderful people on that social media platform. We get to just share news, information, interesting topics, PDFs. You can even share whole movies if you have the patience to upload the file. And if you got a good service, it actually doesn't even take that long. It's pretty sweet. Um, te- Telegram is its really like a wonderful social media that's pretty undervalued, I'd say. I mean, at some point, it's inevitably going to uh, pay its due homage and, and blow up. Uh, but until then, uh, it's a really great, easy-to-use platform, and we would love for you to join us on there. If you've heard of Telegram, you've probably had a friend say, do you have Telegram? And you're like, no, I don't need another app on my phone. But now you're hearing about it again, and now you're debating it. Well, just do it. See what is good. See what's up. We will greet you with warm, fiery arms from the Fire Tribe and and wish you a good day. And you can scroll and scroll and check out all the really sweet stuff that's been posted on there. If you really love RFTA, you should go and swoop yourself a t-shirt, sticker, or a mug off of the store, the merch store. There is some sick designs ready for you to be fashionable, to be ready to have a conversation. Wearing an RFTA t-shirt will only be a great conversation starter for when you're out doing your socialing so you're socializing you know you can always get yourself a sup brahe shirt uh fun design and made and people can say what what's up brahe and they're like oh you don't even know the half of it let me tell you about johannes kepler and taiga brahe two famous magical occult astrologers from the bohemian uh <laughs> inner circle magic inner magic circle of Rudolph the second you know and then go in on that and going on Uraniborg and stuff and going on whatever but if you support us through that that's a great way there's another way too it's called Patreon we have amazing content there my friends great content for three bucks a month you can get 
access to all of those wonderful shows. If you like the way we do it, if you dig what we do, that's a great way to do it, my friends. Support us on the Patreon. I want to thank everybody that listens to the show all over the world. I mean, guys, we are we are stretching our wonderful arms out the entire globe, and we're getting love back. It's amazing. I want to thank, thank you guys so much. I would love for you guys to email us at risingfromtheashespod at protonmail.com. That would be amazing, guys. Email us. We've gotten plenty of emails from amazing uh, people in the fire tribe. And it's just... It's just so cool to hear people from other countries. You know, what, what you... Like, where you guys live? Like, what, what are you guys doing? What you like about the show? And we got 136 extra downloads from Ireland alone uh, in the past month. So, shout out to you guys. We are talking about the homeland. We would love for you to reach out to us with any Irish mythologies, Celtic stuff that we're missing out on. You know, we got a lot more Swedish listeners as well. And German. And the Netherlands with a whopping extra 5.3% gain and 406 new listeners from the Netherlands. And also shout out to the UK. We have 420 uh, listeners coming from that region. And Australia is our second in line to the US. That's amazing. Uh, So really excited to see these numbers growing. You know, we have 16 fans in Thailand, 15 in Greece, 13 in Iceland, the people in Israel, Finland, Denmark, Spain, Portugal, Czech Republic, seven Japan listeners, Austria, Estonia, Singapore, Argentina, Mexico, Uzbekistan, South Africa, Colombia, France, Peru, India, Guatemala, Honduras, Barbados, Panama, Turkey, Indonesia, Italy, Jersey, Nepal, Pakistan, Poland, and Romania. So, I expect an email from everybody, okay? I want my inbox to be blowing up with... with with what you guys gotta say give us some feedback reach out to us we have some secret awesome sauce coming for the show soon speaking of secret extra special sauce you should go to our youtube page and subscribe to us there as well we do sunday live streams where we dive deep we dive deep into all of the fun alternative fringe historic things that we find interesting and they've only been getting better they've been great conversations we've had great turnouts on the live thank you guys for tuning in to the live that means so much it really does yeah, we, we, we went pretty hard on um, the subterranean realms, lost cities, and the underworld uh, mythologies and ancient cultures. Past couple streams, that was really fun. Um, 
there's so much when you start diving in to these mysteries and the mythologies of the underworld got some really good serpent symbolism uh, and dragon symbolism episodes so many so many things check out the youtube channel guys and get yourself a sweet t-shirt do it get one for your your lovely partner get them a big extra extra large one so they can sleep in it they can go outside and drink their morning cup of coffee just just gazing as the sun crest over the hill and as you're stretching your body getting ready for the love to enter and flow sip sip that sweet hot brew let it slide down your soul and get warm and juicy. Mmm. Well, I won't hold you any further, my friends. Get ready for a fantastic conversation with a fantastic author, Star Goody, talking to us about Sheila Na Geek. Welcome back to Rising <laughs> from the Ashes. I'm Danny Naki Dan. I am the homie Romy. Hello, hello. It is wonderful to be here with you today, sir. And what's goody in the hoodie, dear Roman? <laughs> well, we are we are very stoked and honored to be chatting with another fellow author, going to enlighten us on some deeper depths of the matriarchal society Sheila and the gig the Sheila yeah. and the gig specifically uh with star goody is that how you say your name star? yes goody star goody and it is a, a wonderful honor to be here with you today thank you for joining us you're very welcome especially today the day after Sheila and the gig day yes i know <laughs> <laughs> did you uh celebrate uh this holiday well, I always feel in touch with the Sheilas, you know, they're sort of a, a, a grounding foundation for me. But I certainly had got a lot of um, stuff on Facebook about the Sheilas. And you know, so I was responding to those. Wonderful. Um, yeah. For, for people that don't know, uh, tell us what the Sheila Nagig is or was or could be or however you want to describe it. All right, just to give you a technical definition, Sheila gigs are stone carvings on medieval churches between the 12th and 17th century common era. So they're medieval figures on, on Catholic churches, and they are supernatural women who are displaying their vulvas. They're nude figures. Uh, they're not ordinary women, but they have very exaggerated and capacious vulvas and they are displaying their vulvas on churches so that is what a shilani gig is very odd to see such a figure in the middle of um the misogyny of the middle ages 
but that's what they are. Mm. So well, was it and, like and a, meanings a form... and functions are mysterious and endless, but mm -hmm. that's what they are: stone figures of female display or sacred display, as I call it, of of women, females on Catholic churches between the 12th and 17th centuries. Absolutely, yeah. So she... why were they putting it? Why were they putting it on Catholic churches? Is there a certain reason why they were doing it was it to like say hey look i have a vagina or it's, a vulva. It's, a, a it's, the vulva. it's the external genitalia you know um, okay so i mean that's why i write a whole book okay to explain the mysteries of that there's many different theories but my well-reasoned and well-evidenced feeling is that they are a continuation of the civilization of the goddess mm -hmm. that they are figures and that, that they're connected in, in my book that they're connected through celtic culture through classical culture through neolithic culture and back to the paleolithic carvings of vulva you know going back forty thousand years mm -hmm. so the shilas are a continuation of that thread of the civilization of the goddess because you know the the goddess or nature can't be stamped out otherwise there's no life you know uh mm -hmm. and as long as there were women to to maria gimbutas the great mm -hmm. archaeologist said these things could only be stamped out with the extermination of all females so it's the life force that can't be done away with yes so the sheilas are that now then the powers of the vulva are mysterious and endless and there's no final explanation but i'd like to look at the sheilas as really a relatively modern figure because they were you know if you go back forty thousand years to like the chauvet cave or you know tens of thousands of years to neolithic culture five thousand years classical culture hundreds of years celtic culture so they're really a relatively modern figure and by looking at the functions of the shila then we can have a sense of uh historical and ahistorical powers of the vulva and some of those powers to me the main power is that they're protective apotropaea are protective so they protect they're placed over entrances or doors um they they guard their goddesses that guard over passages but they have other functions they are, uh help women in childbirth they're also used for healing they protect the dead look over the dead um so they have functions with life and death and healing and but to me mainly are, are one of their biggest powers is the power to protect so mm. those are just some mm. of them i mean and again just like in life there's no final word that you can say that's wonderful i i'm curious um about the construction of them were they were they put on after the churches were built because maybe the churches were built on top of ancient um, Celtic sites, which I think was often the case. A lot of times um, there would be a placement of a church on top of another sacred line to a culture that predated that church. Um, so was it like they stamped out uh, this, um, this sacred site, put a church on it, and then someone came around and put the Sheila on top 
of that to say like you know we're, we're putting this here or were they built by the masons who actually built these churches well there's no text explaining the shilas there's no text okay so you have to go by i mean they're very visual images they're very striking mm -hmm. pieces of art so you have to go by that and then other traditions now of course we know that uh sacred sites the church often built uh their churches over sacred sites and we do know that there were medieval masons who were carving those shilas so it, it's hard to say for sure but often i think that they were constructed when the church was constructed so that they were part of the church the first shilana gig i ever saw i mean of course i had read about them and seen them was the uh, killinaboy church in county clare and I went to Ireland, this was, I don't know, 1986 or five or something. So I'm walking up the street to go see the church. I'm really excited. I'm going to see my first Sheelan gig. And there were workers on the side of the road. You know, they're putting stones up on the side. And the fellow says, oh, have you seen our Sheelan gig up the road? I said, yeah, yeah, I'm going right now. I'm so excited. And he said, the Christians put her up there to bring the pagans in. <laughs> so I thought that was just a little bit of folk tradition and folk wisdom. But certainly, especially in Ireland, because Ireland was never invaded by the Romans. So unlike Britain or other places in Europe. So they had a more a stronger thread with their indigenous culture, with the Celtic goddesses. And the Sheilas mm -hmm. do reflect those a lot in their functions and uh, their traditions. So um, I think that they were built with the church. I mean, the Irish masons who were carving them, we don't completely know what was in their mind, but after all, you know, for millennia, the soil of Europe, as you said, was um, in our pre-show chat, that, that, that it was pagan first, you know, 100,000 years of goddess worship. So it's not so surprised to see a supernatural figure mm -hmm. on these churches, and especially because they had so much in Ireland where there's more Sheilas than anywhere else. I mean, and there's certainly Sheilas in Celtic parts of Great Britain, and Scotland and Wales. So it's not so surprised to see a supernatural figure like that. And and the Sheila does connect with um, myths and traditions of Celtic culture and like, you know, goddesses of sovereignty. But she also connects with some of their uh, sculptural traditions of big stone heads. And so, so there's all kinds of threads of connection to the culture. And one Sheila is by St. Gobnet, a big statue of St. Gobnet, who was Gobnet, a saint, but you know how saints, goddesses become saints, mm -hmm. traditions, but they keep that Bridget and St. Bridget, which by the way, you know, there's a Bridget's a bank holiday in Ireland now. Oh, wow. Mm. That that just happened this year. But in, in that... Wow by St. Gobnet, and then there's a cathedral right next to it with the Shilani Gate, and right next to that is a holy well, which was thought that uh, a trio of hags once guarded the safety of, of that area. So in some ways, the Shilas take over some of the functions and meanings of the earlier Celtic goddesses, which is something you were just touching on. 
that's that's wonderful what so these kind of have um they remind me of this kind of very specific art style that you see in this part of the world uh in the british isles and like the northern uh, european countries but it also kind of reminds me of some of this south american like peruvian phallic art um and so that that's really interesting like you have that i guess almost hermetic half uh halfway around the world having a more phallic uh little stone structures you know that were that were happening so do you think there's any connection between those cross cultures um or 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 that kind of art style well i think that the vulva is an archetype it's a timeless pattern of energy in the Absolutely. human psyche so therefore it can rise up independently all over the world i yes. mean it's your primal primordial function of you know giving birth and it's experience that all people have and so it's because it's an archetype or again something that's ahistorical or a temporal that of course it's all over the world and then again if people want to see my book or if they go to my website stargoody.com you'll see that there's a lot of images there and there's also my latest essay the icon of the vulva a basis of civilization which okay you don't want to read there's really a lot of fun images and it takes up and in that um of course it's in my book but in that essay it looks at worldwide figures of display so of course this is all over the world and of course you know there can be local coloring and distinctions on you know in different parts of the world but the functions of the vulva it's even though they look different they still retain powers over life and death and of course renewal so mm -hmm. they have similar meanings um you know, you can see a Sheila that's over a, um, a door in Ireland to protect the passage. And you can see a Gorgon in Greece over a temple, a Gorgon or Medusa over a temple, you know, watching over the pediment of the temple, watching over the entrance. Or you can go to Oceania and see a Dulakai with a mm. sacred display and spread spread legs and she's guarding over the entrance to the men's ceremonial huts so you, you just see these um again cross-culturally because it's embedded in our psyches absolutely i mean i cannot argue with you there um the, the deep mysteries and the of the the life of the creation of life the, the alchemical chamber you know <laughs> yeah, that's a wonderful that's i love that the, i love that that's very colorful and vivid i try to dan looks like you are you about to perch on the branch of curiosity with a question here brother uh well yeah what is the what does sheila nagig mean is there like a etymology to that or uh, does it have a deeper meaning Sheila means mean lady in Irish. Well, it, that's a good question. And um, nobody really knows for sure what it means because it's a combination, amalgamation of, of English and Celtic, you know, the Celtic mm -hmm. language, Irish Gaelic. So seal, like you were just saying, can mean like fairy woman. 
and um, mm-hmm. the gig, it can mean she, someone on her hunkers, you know, someone who's squatting down, because most Sheilas are in a squatting position, like a frog-like squatting position. So it can mean that sometimes people, you know, it's scholars have analyzed it, uh, it means Julieta of the breasts. So mm-hmm. there's there's different meanings. I mean, and also you can think of Sheila as a slang in Australia, you know, like Sheila's a woman in Australia. And I mean, I touch upon these in my book, but one scholar just said, it's a word that doesn't make sense, so I don't even want to deal with it. But it's what <laughs> really knows for sure, okay? But it certainly came up um, in the Irish countryside because these are sort of these pagan figures, you know, pagan countryside. These are more in more remote areas. They're not urban figures. So there's a lot of uh, traditions, whatever the original meanings are, but there's a lot of folk traditions that come around them. And that was certainly the folk name of these figures, Sheila Gibbs. Oh, and I wanted to touch on something else that you said too, Dan. Um, the Sheilas are having this re-blossoming. You know, again, their energies went down in the roots of the rhizome, and you know, sometimes energies like lay underground for a while. But now, with in the 20th century, there was the return of the goddess, which to me is the great psychic event of the mm-hmm. 20th century, the return of the goddess. So now the Sheilas have become such popular figures. I mean, when I was first looking and doing my research on the Sheila, I was like had a Xerox of a Xerox of somebody's uh, Jorgen Anderson, the great book, The Witch on the Wall. That was his doctoral thesis about um, erotic architecture. And so I, when I was going around up to Ireland in the British Isles trying to locate Sheila's, I was going by a thirty a, a journal that was written in the 1930s. But now there's all kinds of books and mm. maps that you can, you know, Jack Roberts and my colleagues do wonderful work. Now you can um, just buy one of those and have really direct direction. So the Sheila and, and many Irish feminists are taking the Sheila up as, um, I wouldn't say a replacement of, of the Virgin Mary, but another kind of energy. I mean, I'm all for love and nurturing, but this is another kind of fierce energy and power and that they're taking the Sheila's on as uh, or celebrating them. So I just, um, I guess I shouldn't be astonished, but over the course of my many years of studying them, I'm just really seeing this flowering of the figure. I mean, of the interest in the figure. No, uh, yeah. By the no way, pun intended. Yeah, right. <laughs> I just want to say last month on February 18th, they just discovered another Sheila in County Wexford. Uh, they, sometimes they find them, like the cover of my book, that, that Sheila was found in the Rahara Sheila in 1990 during a church cleanup. So they were cleaning up a castle, and uh, they discovered another Sheila. This was like one month ago. Mm. Wow. Because I think that um, none so blind as those who cannot see, but because there's this perception of the Sheilas, then they can be seen more. Or, of course, I'm in these uh-huh. Sheila groups, and now they're saying, oh, go look at this church over here, this building over here, I think we see a Sheila, and they were sort of invisible before. 
somewhat some of them do you, do you think there's a possibility of their men literally being manifested or some, maybe there is actual magical attributes to them where maybe they are arising again as a, a cyclical piece of some some deeper reality that we're living in well i would never want to gainsay or cross deeper realities or magic i would <laughs> never want to go against that because actually it is sort of, it is magical, this um, interest and this appearance. So, um, you know, the Sheilas are a force to be reckoned with. So. And there's this, I'm oh, sorry to interrupt. No, go ahead. I was going to say, there's this association with the, you know, like a Gorgon tie or some of these old um, associations with the goddess and stone. Yeah. And serpents and stone and things like that. So, um, you know, the, I, I'd love to believe that, you know, if and, and, and the British Isles are such an energy hotspot, like a magnetic hotspot. There's a lot of, you know, ancient stone circles there as well as other places in the world. But I feel like if they're going to start sprouting up and now we're talking on a big magical metaphysical scale, but, you know, it would be here. Uh, and as slowly as the rest of the world, you know, we come together, band together, because I, I am a firm, I am, I am fully sold and, and a firm believer on the, the cohesion and to bring back a balance into a matriarchal mm. system. And, you know, I think you do need that balance and not just maybe necessarily one-sided on, you know, the, the, you go through phases and they talk about this triple goddess and the, the phase okay from the, the complete dark as you go into the bright and it's it's a death and a rebirth and then the the golden age of actually living um that that period that time uh what, what's your what's your um take on the triple goddess and how this may tie into the sheila and the gigs well that was a mouthful roman sorry okay. i apologize no, i do okay. that sometimes that's okay i, I love your um you have an inquiring soul. Um, well, to touch on the Medusa or the Gorgon, those are stone, fig stone figures. I mean, some of them. I mean, of course, Athena has the, the Gorgon on her shield as protection. Mm -hmm. But many of them, as I said before, are over entrances. Okay? So her power is... Uh, so she is guarding over them, but also her power is also it's in her eyes, but it's also in her mouth. Her mouth is an upper bulba because she gives birth to her children through her mouth. Okay. Mm. And of course mm. the Gorgons have the snake heads, and the snakes are a quintessential symbol of regeneration, right? You know, mm -hmm. shedding their skin and that they can exist in different worlds like the above ground and the underworld. So so yeah. she Sheila connects those, and, and of course, all the powers are connected with her display and her femaleness, the sacred uh, creative power of femaleness. Now, in terms of the, the triple goddess, um, the Sheilas are interesting because they are an antinomy. They, they combine, of course, they're crones, you know, they're hags, they're crones. Mm -hmm. They have bald heads, some of them, I mean, 
the Sheilas all look different because they're carved by different masons. The one thing that makes a Sheila a Sheila is she has to have an aggressive display of her vulva. But many Sheilas are bald. Most Sheilas are hag-like. They have emaciated breasts and and um, ribs. But so you have this death-like quality there. Some of them have skulls of death. But mm, it's mm-hmm. all incorporated into the body where you have this round, juicy, luscious vulva. So there's this, this other kind of fecundity. So they have life and death, like kind of maiden mm-hmm. in the same figure. And some Sheilas even look pregnant. There's one Sheila uh, on the Isle of Lewis, the Riddell Sheila, has just given birth. She's holding a baby. Of course, it looks like a seal, but anyway, she's holding it. So there are these um, forces, opposites, that she embodies in her very being and in her iconography when you look at the Sheila. So she combines the youthfulness of the maiden in her erotic display, but in a hag-like body. So she has those. And of course, if I didn't already say this, um, Mothers used Sheilas as birthing stones to help them, and in some ways the Sheilas were thought, these are folk traditions around them, that they were responsible for all life, not just human life, but animal life, all life on Earth and the cosmos. So in that way, they're having this mothering energy. So those are some connections, I think you could say. Absolutely. This... Um, these goddess sisters, this, the triple sisters, the three goddesses of time that live before time and after time and are, you know, essentially the creatrix energy. Um, are there any, are there any stories in, um, in Celtic mythology deities uh the stories of the matriarchal or the uh the feminine deities where they've been told that they've shown their vulvas for the specific action of protection or well uh, were you talking divinity? about the, the fates were you saying the three sisters were you talking about kind of the fates mm-hmm. or yes the three fates yeah and, and then i sure. actually realized i diverted into a completely different question uh midway through that but and also i was thinking you know in celtic tradition there's triple goddesses too you know yes Three goddesses. So, um, give me your question again. Um, the que- the question, uh, I guess, really ultimately was uh, through your research into the Sheila gig. How deep into um, Irish and Celtic mythologies did you did you get? Well, I did read, of course, um, background material on that. Because the Sheilas, after all, those are the foremothers of the Sheila. And as I said before, there's a certain, I don't know if I'd say purity, but it's untainted connection. Because when the Romans came, they really obliterated cultures and made those people feel like somehow they were inferior. Mm. You have this Roman juggernaut coming and and the people were um, oppressed and their cultures were more denigrated. But so you don't have that with the Irish connections again, because they never made the Romans never made it to Ireland. So they have the stronger traditions of 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 goddesses. There's many 
not many, but some like wooden goddesses that are found in bogs, you know, that, that mm. with the bulbs in it dating back. Wow. That's mm. really fascinating. Uh, Inside box they in bogs they found them? Right. They did find them because they and they were weathered and there's something about the acids in the bogs that preserve them. Yeah, bog bodies. Mm -hmm. That that um mummies in the bogs. Those aren't the mummified Yeah, that but that's still really interesting because you know, a lot of times, especially in the British Isles, uh, uh, witches or you know women and and powerful uh, deities have been associated with water, specifically like you know Lady of the Lake and different um, archetypes like that. Yeah, yeah. So and to then, be found out pulled out of a bog is really cool. Right. So the, there's those, and those really go. Really, those are pre-Celtic cultures. They're Neolithic because there's that Neolithic culture um, in the British Isles in Ireland. And as you were saying, the stone circles, which I was quite obsessed with them. I went from, you know, Land's End and Cornwall up to the Orkney Islands looking at the stone circles. They're so mesmerizing. Um, Have you had any experiences at these uh, stone circles that were... Uh like any meditative experiences or, or any of these uh, major downloads that people have when they fin uh, visit these sites? Well, I certainly felt a oneness, you know, that oceanic connection that we want. <laughs> we mm -hmm. don't have to microdose on something to get. <laughs> that feeling that you can get, um, that you're connected to everything and it's a sense of peacefulness and I, I don't know if I want to say rightness, but um, wholeness, that's what I want to say. I, I would feel that. And of course, a circle is really one of the most ancient symbols of wholeness. So I had, and plus you're in these incredibly beautiful places, you know, and the stones are aligned with, with uh, astrological, cosmological uh, events. So they're really, to use your word, very magical. Mm. Very magical. But that was a pre-Sheila obsession. And uh, I mean, I still have a megalithomania. I still love those circles. There was something else I wanted to say. that, And sometimes the, the uh, Celtic goddesses are connected with different trees. And, and also there's goddesses of sovereignty, you know, that the, that, that the goddess is the land, you know, the... Mm -hmm. Thing has to mate with the goddess to have a sovereignty and the Sheilas are very connected to that um, there's hags of the castle where Irish chieftains would put Sheilas up on castles on their their castle towers to claim that this was their territory the Sheila was a statement of their territory so that really connects her to the goddess of sovereignty is is there a connection with uh, the Sheila in like other places like Greece or Rome or South America where they have similar depictions of, of women showing their vulvas? Well, as I say, it's an archetype. It's a sacred display. It's a universal phenomenon. Mm. So, uh, universal. Yoniverse, there you go, the Yoniverse. So, of <laughs> course, you can find it really on every continent. I don't know, maybe not Antarctica. I've never seen that. But, you know, North America, South America, you know, Europe, Asia, 
mm-hmm. Africa, uh, Oceania, even in Hawaii. So it's all over. So uh, that's a function that there is in this. Um, it's a phenomena. I should say that it's a phenomena. Now, to me, I have a specific definition of a Sheila as something between the 12th and 17th century occurring in Ireland and the British Isles, that they are an example of an archetype in a specific time and place. Now, if you were in India, it might be called Kali, because some of the Kalis are display figures. If you were in South America, or some of you were talking about Peru, they have those little mochi goddesses, and there's manabi stones in the... Um, Caribbean, they have display figures, Atabi, Itaba, Chahubaba, and they all have functions, but they're, you know, again, they have prominently displayed vulvas. So I wouldn't call those Sheila gigs. I would give them their local name. You know, if you have an archetype, it's a universal image, but it takes on a local name and coloring. So to me, the Sheila's are, I, I wouldn't call something, I don't know, from um, Africa a Sheila, but I would say, it's a, a figure of sacred display that they're sisters in that lineage and power, mm-hmm. of creative power. Sisters, yes. I mean, that's how I see it. Yes, banding together to create uh, to create safety and sanction for for the people. So if you know, you know. If you know, you know. Uh, and also if you don't know, then they're going to help protect that not knowing, you know, maybe they're not ready to accept the, um, the deeper depth because a lot of times, uh, knowledge is scary to people, you know, trying to actually branch out. And, you know, if you, people don't want to dive, dive too much deeper than they have to just to get by. And if these, you know, Sheila and the gigs are a sacred mystery, um, you know, withholding some ancient knowledge that you can just intuitively almost kind of gather just by being around one, then, uh, you know, be, being exposed to the lifting of the veil, if you will. Uh, yeah. Uh, a lot of people can't handle that. So, but maybe we are having an awakening and the Sheila's are appearing to us yet again. Maybe we'll find more. If one was just found last week, there's plenty more to be found. February discovered. 18th, County Wexford. Yes. Oh, well, I mean, to my way of thinking, there's no doubt that there's a shift in consciousness going, you know, fingers crossed, because <laughs> we need a different path, you know, a path of of empathy and connection and wholeness. And again, if we're all offspring of the great mother, that's it. That's we need an age of relatedness, not this age of separation, you know, mm. all apart, but we're you know um we're all children of mother earth and so we're all connected and have this unity so and to get to your point yeah well i mean all of us can have uh, terror and awe at the unknown and the forces that are bigger than us we're just you know a little cork floating in the ocean but uh and people are afraid yeah people are afraid uh, I'm thinking of this book by the great psychologist Eric from Escape from Freedom. Mm. <laughs> In some ways, people are afraid. And certainly, that's a very taboo subject, you know, this display, where it's not, you know, pornographic or exploitative, but celebratory and sacred. So, um, 
you know, female sexuality and forces of nature can be very threatening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's the complete opposite of um, you know what, the, at least what they tell us the church is about. You know, it's like to just have exposed genitals is just it's like the utmost of uh, what what a sin might be considered. You know, so it is really interesting to see them on these churches. It reminds me yes. of the Black Madonnas. Um, yeah. Yeah. The statues found underneath in some of the uh, some of the crypts in some of these famous cathedrals. Yeah, those are very fascinating, and, it, and in a way, it's how you regard female. I mean, I have my own uh, explanation and theory, and I hope analysis. And of course, I love the Sheilas. I don't want to spend time around uh, something I don't love, or spend years of my mm. life doing this and writing this book, or going to the islands or now giving lectures i i i just want to i want to just be in love Mm -hmm. i want to be and i love these figures um but i would be remiss to say there aren't some um people who analyze the sheila who just see them as images of lust warning against sin because that's how they see the female body Mm. sinful you know the gateway to the devil cause of the downfall of men so there are some people who feel that you know have that uh but that's not how i see it yeah i mean how do you regard why would they not body you know it's high held high yeah okay good always trying to go back home (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, well christians definitely uh um catholics alike have this uh affinity towards uh you know women in the first place uh they're very patriarchal right and pretty much anything to do with women because of eve eating of the fruit and being tempted by the serpent they have this evil connotation associated with the female uh because it brought us to the fall Uh, Because we were talking about this because of the idea of St. Patrick, Mm -hmm. uh, because it was St. Patrick's Day on Friday. And then it's kind of weird that Sheila and the gig day is the very next day after St. Patrick's Day. It's almost like the Patriarch Patriarch Day and the Matriarch Day. Yeah, right. Well, Um, go ahead. Go ahead, Dan. Oh, so, yeah, I was just going to say, like, it's very interesting that, you know, the days are right next to each other. And seemingly what it seems like to me about St. Patrick is he drove uh, the goddess, which is associated with the serpent a lot of times, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the Medusa and the energies and all of those things and Eve with the serpent. He, I think that he came and took the goddess out of uh, Ireland in um, the early five, uh, 400 or late 400s. Um, but it's interesting to see that this type of figure pops up again later in uh, the 1100s and 1200s. Um, so seemingly they didn't completely get rid of it. And they even, you know, just transformed the goddess into a saint and called it a day, uh, yeah. basically. So, Well, the thing is, and especially among the pagans and things, it's, you know, you have 100,000 years 
of goddess worship, and then you have this two thousand year layover that I mean fifteen hundred year layover, and you can't. Plus, the other thing is, we all have instincts. You can't root out people's instincts, you know. So, yeah. um, there is one. What you said was so rich, Dan. There's so many things I could respond to, but this idea of driving the snakes out. So often the snakes that is feel like an image of misogyny, where you're driving the goddess out, like slaying the dragon, is one of the central mm -hmm. mythological mm -hmm. themes of Indo-European patriarchal culture. So driving the snakes out. Yeah, of course there are no snakes in Ireland, but I mean it's driving the goddess. Right. You know, it's driving the goddess out. And there is one Sheila in um, Ireland who is connected. There's a Sheila Nagig, I could look it up in my book, but I'll just say it off the top of my head, that someone said, oh, that Sheila, um, uh, she was a sinful woman and she went against St. Patrick and they threw her in the water and that's what you <laughs> now with the Sheila on there. But of course, yeah, <laughs> there's other images, you know, uh, that the Sheila is really the life force. You know, the ever-renewing life force. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's an interesting story with St. Patrick, and I believe it's Cora. Uh, and she turns into a snake and swallows him whole. And I think he's in there for 40 days and 40 nights, ironically. This is like no whale, right? Yeah, exactly. And then when he comes out of there, he's renewed and he's able to somehow defeat uh, this goddess. And uh, it, it's just very, you know, funny, I guess. And, <laughs> well, okay, so he gets renewed in this womb of this snake, but then he... Exactly. Then he that he gets swallowed by, yeah, yeah. And... <laughs> You know, when it's interesting that they're over openings, right? I mean, that's almost symbolizing, like, to me, it's like portal symbolism, exactly. uh, like a lot of these archways that you have that lead from from land uh, into rocks that go underground, or you mm -hmm. have them from land that go into areas of water. Uh, then you have some at the tops of mountains that seemingly go into the sky realm. It's almost like when you go through these portals, you're going into a different type of uh, realm. And so you have to protect yourself in order to go into this realm. And so by having the Sheilas there, it's uh, it's like protecting you, uh, sanctifying you, uh, purifying you to be able to go inside of these sacred places. That's lovely, Dan. I really like that because mm -hmm. she is a guardian of the portals. I mean, of course, a vault is a portal, a side of oh. and exits, you know. So she yeah. does start over uh, the passages. And if you think of the yoni you're going in there, sometimes you could think of it as a gateway to the divine because mm -hmm. mysterious places that we're going to, they are that you're talking about are sacred or they're very transformational. And it does, you know, you, you do need some courage and some helpers, as you're saying. So, it, and maybe it is a purifying to acknowledge that energy, you know, bow to that energy and then make your, go off on your adventure. Um, and yeah. I have to say about the water, but anyway, I loved what you said, that some, a lot of Sheilas are by holy wells. 
Uh-huh. Connection with water. But I think what you just said was very profound. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, uh, the femininity and the woman figure, uh, even Eve, biblically, uh, her, her, her name means life. And she's the life-giving water to everything. So even biblically, uh, females have this association with water and even uh, ma, right? Maritime, uh, matriarchy. It it has an association with water and the life-giving waters. And um, it's interesting. I read, too, that they used to put her on ships and vessels. Shilling gigs? Yeah. There is, um, yeah, there is, uh, was it 17th or 18th century, there was a ship called Shilinigig that shipped oh. the Isles, wow. you know, and you mean like that, not like a mast, but uh, it's an iconic figure in the front of the ship, like, the, um, I don't know if that's called the bow, the front, where, yeah. in a way, she's this guide star to the mariners on the boat, right? Mm. Interesting that you said guide stars, because I've been staring at this one picture for quite a while, the one in uh, uh, the church at Kilpeck, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Hertfordshire yeah. in England. Yeah. And this, if you look at it, it does kind of look like a five-pointed star mm, interesting. Uh, yeah. with the arms out and the legs out and then the head being the top of that star. Yeah, that's green. That's fascinating. Um, you know that yeah, is, yeah, disabled. That uh-huh. is the most famous Sheila gig. That is the most reproduced and well-known Sheila gig. Now that and that's from a 12th century church. I was there. It's in um, on the border, like with Wales, uh, Herefordshire. Yeah, that's the 12th century church. This is a gem of Romanesque architecture. She's on the corbel table, and. You know, she's a very merry sort of figure. She's one of eight, 80 figures on this church. This is a beautiful church. It's just so all the um, horrible figures, and it has a beautiful uh, carved door that has snakes up, going up and down these columns. So she's quite the famous figure, and she's to me, seems sort of pleased with herself. She's sort of merry in her display. So this is an early figure, and again, the most well-known. So I see what you mean about that five, those five points. Yeah, it also seems to me uh, as inviting, like, come through here, or like, come in here, you know, like, uh, like opening up a door for a person to walk through the door. You're like, you're saying, here, let me help you. It almost has that type of, you know, because she's spreading it open. It's the same. You know, the introduction to my book, it's like two pages, and I call it Invitation In. You know, your invitation mysteries, like you say, it isn't in. I mean, it's sort of calling you, isn't she? Yes. Yes. Exactly my point. Yes, it's very inviting. It's, exactly. That's what seems very weird to me about it being on a church is it doesn't have like a negative connotation to it. It seems almost as a positive invitation, like welcoming. Um, so it's interesting that it scares people away, 
you know, but I could see why it attracts pagans because pagans probably are aware yeah. of the meaning behind it. Well, so this, is, this is a figure that they would recognize, you know. Yeah. This uh, this church too, Kilpacker, Herefordshire, uh, like the church itself is pretty symbolically imbued with a bunch of oh, other yeah. carvings. Like you definitely have the green man all over is this one with the, vi- the oh, vine, yeah. the vines coming out of his mouth, and he said some snakes going up the walls. Um, well, that's out- the door. That the, the the door in the front has the green man and the snakes. This is this has a lot of like. Um, you know, Celtic, Irish, uh, Scandinavian. This is a real. These. This was the Hartford Hertfordshire School of uh, Architecture. Which, when I went there that day, um, th- this bus pulled up, and people were. They were on a tour of local churches, and the fellow who was uh, showing them was a guide, and I was following them around and. And I said, oh, well, can I listen? He goes, ah, I can't stop you. But anyway, he became very friendly to me when he saw how interested I was. And he told me about the, I said, well, what can you tell me? Any books? It's called the Herefordshire uh, Book of Sculpture. So this was a center. This, and in York, in more northern England, was a center of sculpture. And people were making tremendous pilgrimages back and forth to um, northern France and into Spain. So there was a lot of um, exchange of things. And and this church, like I said, it is considered a gem of Irish architecture. And you see that it's on the corbel table. And if you went, if you could go to the right and left, again, there's 80 feet. Yeah, and you see the, the, the little animal right next to her. Um, and a lot of different figures. So this was, a, this was, you know, these were really masterful artisans who made this church. And inside it's really stunning too, but it's, it's a beautiful church. Yeah, see, that's the door. Yeah. And you see there's a tree of life in the tympanium there at the top. There's a tree of life. Mm-hmm. And you see, again, the, the green man, what you were saying at the top of that one column, where the uh, foliage is coming out and the snakes going up and down. So are these snakes sinful? Are they images of the forces of life, you know? I mean, to me, more than interpretation, just look at the image. You know, interpretations rise and fall, but look at the image. You know, to me, this this is such a rich, joyful imagery. Absolutely. Yeah, this is this masterful mason work here. Uh, Beautiful. This door is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, that, that reminds that's what it makes me think. That's what makes me think that it's not church. It wasn't originally a church. It was originally, uh, you know, a some pagan type hall. of pagan. Yeah, a hall. And it got changed into a church later and they just kept the decorations because you know the curtains don't match the drapes and that's <laughs> well it's certainly when you go to a place of tremendous energy you know the ley lines i think roman was sort of talking about that a little bit like you know it is a place of tremendous energy mm. it's very atmospheric some i don't I know mean, that was one of my great days on my sheila adventures seeing that church because it was the most famous Sheila and finally I was it's like a pilgrimage and I was arriving 
to see what I'd only seen in books. Yeah. I hope to be able to, uh, to experience some more of these European cathedrals one day, because we have been looking at them and the significance of sacred architecture for quite some time. Yeah. You know, it's one thing to talk about it for so long until you get to actually experience it, you know, and, uh, Dan and I do, we don't live near each other anymore, but we had met up in, um, San Francisco and, and did some, some fun adventuring. We tried to go into this cathedral and we did. We had an okay time, you know. Grace Cathedral, at, what cathedral? You mean in San Francisco? In yes. San Francisco, yeah, Grace. Yeah. And it's beautiful. They did a good job, but it's just not, you know, it's not the same. It's yeah, the same it's in the sense it's syncretically built on uh, sacred lands of the indigenous people, as is the entire city of San Francisco. <laughs> yeah. um, but. Uh, is that where you yeah. live, Roman, in San Francisco? No, I was living up in Mendocino, and Dan lives. Oh, we were talking about that. Oh, you're yeah. in Hawaii or something, aren't you? Yeah, I moved back out to Big Island for a little bit here. So, um, yep. I live Early. very, very near, very near you, Star. I live about uh, forty-five minutes from Santa Barbara. Oh, really? Where? In uh, Santa Maria. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Just so right there. Let's Oh, go ahead, sir. Go ahead. Go ahead. No. I was going to say let's let's bring it back and do an opposite like, you know, we've been chatting for an hour and a half now. Let's let's ask you how you started in this. How did your writing career start, you know? We usually do that question at the very beginning, but um do you mind telling us like a little bit of your journey to how uh how you got led to uh, doing this type of esoteric research? Well, you know, I, I reverberate or resonate with what you were saying about magic. And some of us, you know, we just come in with certain archetypes, you know, activated. We're not just a blank slate when we're born. And sometimes, you know, we there's energies that if we're lucky enough, we are drawn to our path. Okay, so, you know, feminism and then the goddess was just part of my natural path. I mean, it's just an interior calling. It's just an interior um, energy that's part of my meaning in this world. So I, I came to Berkeley in the late 60s, so it was a very radical time, which I really fit in because I, if you, I lived in this small town on the San Francisco Peninsula called Millbrae, and it was very stuffy for me. But mm. across to Berkeley, I found the world where I belonged, and everything started to open up. But then some of us, even though there's this important work in the outer playing fields of life, we wanted a sacred image. And so the goddess, I, I just think the goddess just started appearing as a um, necessity for the survival of the world, you know? So she just, her return was part of this return mm -hmm. to our ancient mm -hmm. natural roots because the goddess is a very, is part of our natural heritage. I was at a um, Zoom conference last week and the mother of modern matriarchal studies, uh, Heidi Gottner Abendroth, she made mm -hmm. this very interesting statement. She said, patriarchy is historical, it's not natural, 
Therefore, it can be overcome because we've been sold the sort of bill of goods that it's nature. Therefore, you know, yes. we're in deep trouble. But no, it's historical. So uh, she just started appearing in my poetry and around. And, you know, you have a vibration. Like, how did you two get together? You know, your friends, you have, you know, your um, affinities. So in 1984, someone showed me, a woman that I knew, uh, she said, I think you would like this. And she showed me a picture of a Shilinagib. I was like, what is this? You know, what is this? <laughs> it was so astonishing to me. And I, as I said, I fell in love. And I said, I have to know. I mean, what is this doing there? You know, how did she come to be there? So... I just began my journey. I, I read the Xerox book, The Witch on the Wall, and and uh, then I started going to Ireland and the British Isles and traveling, and then I started giving talks. And then it just, you know, I mean, I can be a pretty slothful person, but I can get obsessed. You know, I became obsessed. And so that's how it came to me. But the goddess was in the air. I mean, you know, the word patriarchy is in the zeitgeist now. It didn't used to be in the zeitgeist. People didn't have an analysis of that or a sense of that. So that's in the zeitgeist. And then the sense of the goddess. You know, we just hope she doesn't get commodified, you know, just become another product. But, you know, something is stirring in the air or just the idea of Gaia being in outer space and seeing Mother Earth for the first time in her fullness and her beauty. So... It's something in the spirit of our times, and I'm part of it and hope I can leave my own little pebble on the beach. Absolutely, you are. And what a, what a wonderful beach it is. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. And then I started I, doing, wait, when I was just a little more, and then I started doing that TV show, The Goddess and Art, which if you go to my website. Oh, there, let's talk about that. Well, anyway, I started doing that, and that connected me with a lot of people. So it's there. It, it's on YouTube, and it's on my website, stargoody.com, so, um, where I interviewed a lot of artists and scholars. So then I, I just, and it was just natural for me, you know? As Joseph Campbell would say, I was following my bliss. That is one. Well, you, you know, when you start to really tap in, um, to the to the to the true like you know heart and the message and and the the reason that we're here you get shown the path and you get taken the path and intuition is here for us and yeah and that's probably another symbolic thing that the sheila is here to represent and remind us yeah i like that because it's what i was saying before looking looking at the figure that's why i close my book you know i say you know, interpretation might, may rise and fall, whatever, uh, you know, uh, interpretations we project on her. The image remains powerful, mysterious, eternal. So the image remains, and that ties in to intuition, which of course is one of our greatest gifts with the gift of imagination, but our intuition, which is our inner connection to source, you know. So using that word intuition, I really like that. Sorry, my 
neighbor's got a very like a supremely loud truck but i wanted to ask you about um if you guys can hear that truck in the background just a little bit they have a super crazy echo going on right now though um but what can you tell us about this project that uh that you were working on the this tv series what was it what how well, did you get involved in that and uh what was the I, main the first, takeaway well i probably did that before you were born but the first one was in 1985 um a oh, friend wow. of mine was doing uh, uh he was president of artist equity and he was doing a, a cable show and the woman who was going to moderate it was in a car accident and he invited me Oops. so okay it was like the day the challenger blew up okay so then I realized oh, it was the goddess in contemporary art. Okay. Then I realized I could do it myself. And I called it the goddess in art, oldest tradition in art, you know, culture and um, uh, spirituality. So then it was wonderful for me because I started interviewing, you know, scholars and artists. And I did 25 shows. So over four or five years. And then in time, through a process a technological process i got them on youtube so now they're available for anybody and again they're on my website you can connect with them there and you know so you can see uh different you know scholars like maria gimbutas the great archaeologist who unearthed the goddess in the 20th century and gave us a foundation to rise from uh this is rion eisler vicky nope anyway a lot of of scholars uh christopher castle charles sherman uh artists and and mystics like starhawk so i interviewed a lot of people on the show and i'm really glad that it still exists you know that people have access to it yeah thank you for finding a way to put it on youtube i know it can actually be kind of difficult to just like post videos it can also take hours of uploading well I had to take the three quarter inch broadcast tapes and convert them to this and convert them to that. And I didn't do it. I had friends who were helping me and then do all the coding to put, you know, something that was broadcast on TV to then be put in the proper formats to go on to um, YouTube. That's amazing. So uh, the what was like the main kind of takeaway that you you got after talking to all these people and when looking at the goddess in art um, well it was trying to bring back uh this female creative power so much of which have been suppressed by patriarchal bias the contributions of women are the goddess i mean she's the oldest image in the archaeological record and in my book and in that um icon of the vulva a basis of civilization, which I love to say, I mean, I think it's a real revolutionary statement that it's not just androcratic warrior societies of, you know, this battling and um, uh, conflict. No, there can be societies and were of uh, aesthetic appreciation, balance of power between the sexes, things that make life meaningful, freedom, creativity, uh, enjoyment of life in nature. This was part of the goddess culture. And, and so that's a civilization. And I think there's a thread of that. Because even though we do have all this domination in our culture, we still have love and we still have participation in um, 
partnership and you still help each other because society can't live by rules alone. There is communitas, there is community, and that can never be stamped out or everything would fall apart. And I think the pandemic really showed us how connected we all are. Yeah, we, we had no choice but to yeah. but to hope to you know be able to fall back into our community and and be able to ha have some some people to to hear us and that we can hear them and yeah I I strive for community all the time uh, you know I've moved around a lot trying to find find the places and places that that you can go and safely be and, and be able to feel comfortable you know it's it's a really 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 important necessary part but um, it showed how everything you know something from wuhan in china went around the whole world and affected everybody you know that seems to be seems to be the case china's really good at doing that <laughs> well, I, i'm not saying anything I mean, of course, I, I don't know what happened if it came from a lab where we're doing, which we do, to, you know, nefarious, horrible things. But I'm just saying it shows how connected the world is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And the, the Internet is something that is so interesting and strange, mysterious on its own. It seems like it was always inevitable. Um, and it's like there was a large part of my life where I I didn't want to connect too much in the internet because it, it scared me like, and I, oh. I would revolt against it because it seemed like there was because it was something unknown you know it was a dark mm. mysterious thing i didn't know how it worked how it operated well you know and so i was like i don't i don't trust it i don't like it, it you know it's not tangible in my hands but then again you know it, it's just something that we found and that we siphoned and and then look at this like inevitability for us to all connect from all over the world and create an even bigger community so yes. it's you know my viewpoints on that change quite a bit well like this very instant right now we're all connecting you know two spots in california in hawaii that we can talk and that's wonderful i mean so at this very minute we're we're using its positive qualities and you know every light casts a shadow i mean yes there's um it can it can contribute to togetherness, but it can contribute to separation and people feeling isolated or just having no, uh, just having virtual realities, but not connecting to uh, people and, uh, you know, um, in the real so-called real world. So, and a lot of hatred and horrible things can happen from there, but so many wonderful things like, you know, when I was, like just now you were pulling up images of Sheila's or when I was doing research on my book, I say, I wonder about that little town I went to, Kilkenny. Let me look at that and I could look at it. And when I first started doing my research, I had to go through all this stuff. But I knew people through my archaeological connections um, to get a pass to go to the National Library in Dublin so that I could do research on those archaeological uh, or anthropological journeys journals that were written in the 19th century when antiquarians first started uh, recording stuff on the Sheelanik gigs and I spent days just Xeroxing these 19th century journals. <sighs> now I can sit in my room and if I'm connected to a college I can go to JSTOR and download mm -hmm. all the articles. That's incredible. 
Yeah, it really is. It's, I mean, they call it the age of information and it's just so true. Like you give me, you give me an hour and a half and a cup of coffee and I will pull up, <laughs> you know, 13 old texts that are, you know, dated from anywhere from 2000 years old to 500 and it, in a matter of minutes. And so it is, it is very curious to see where we're going. Um, and if we can, we can hone in the ancient matriarch in with this new technological society, that seems so, um, so unbalanced, you know, if we can really hone that in, we, we got a bright future ahead of us. And, um, there's this really, I, and this book is finally starting to gain popularity, which is really cool. I heard about it a, a couple of years ago. It's called the fourth turning. It was written in 1997. There's a couple guys that um, started looking at history, started digging into these these cycles and that that humans have been uh, following these 80 year patterns and that we're in a fourth turning right now um, that we are in the fourth turning going into the new the, this uh, this first turning and we're in a crisis stage. And um, it's this this theory is starting to gain more popularity because people are noticing a lot more uh, repetitious cycles um that follow this 80 year thing anyways point being that i'm getting to is that it it puts uh it, it kind of categorizes the archetypes of generations into Ooh. the roles and duties and it changes and shifts and at this point seemingly um anybody um within the 1980 to 2008 range are going to be the uh the age right before of the sages but this age is the hero and they'll be the are those heroes. people born in that time in that time era yeah anybody born within 1980 to 2008 are within the hero archetype and anybody born after that would be in the artist archetype that is born in the trauma and born in the chaos so hmm. they are experiencing that and creating their art from the suffrage of the you know so i think in the sense that we're you know and before that the age before that um is the sages and then before that is the it changes each 20 years and it's really fascinating book how many archetypes are there four there's four there's yeah. the sage the artist um i can look it up really quick yeah the hero the artist the oh. prophet and the nomad mm -hmm. So the nomad is that, um, no, the nomadic group is the one before the hero and the prophet is from that first golden age because after the turmoil, after the crisis is the prophet that comes and rises from the ashes. Ooh. And then after that follows the nomadic archetype. And then you build up from the prophet stage to being a nomad and discovery and, and, um, and, and journey and wonder and prosperity. And then from there starts to be a fall and a slip as you hit that, that climax and you start to slip down. And when so did as the that happened, come in? when did the artist, the, art, the artist come in after the hero, um, from, because they were a part, they were children of the crisis. They were I children see. of the trauma. Okay. And yeah, the book is called the fourth turning. It was written in 1997 and they, brought out these theories and they flushed out the stuff and they made predictions. They said, you know, if this is the case and we're in this 80 year cycle around 2008 should be when the next fourth turning will be the crisis stage around 2008. 
which is significant um, because they predicted a downfall in the housing crash. That's when we had the big uh, crisis of the economy and the banks collapse, right? Exactly. And so that was in their book that they wrote 20 years before that, said mm. that in 2008 that would, that would happen and that would last for 20 years. And we'll see the tail end of the crises around 2028. And then uh, around 2029, 2030, we'll start to see a rise of a, uh, of a more uh, prosperous time. So um, if that's the case, that was what happened right after World War II, we were in the first turning. Uh, the 20 years before that was a 20 years crisis period. So strap in your boots if this algorithm is correct. <laughs> um, we could come out the other side, the hero class, waving the arms of the, uh, of the snake, of the, of the matriarch, and, and get more balance. The goddess with the snake in both her fists? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. It's a great book. Anyways. Well, things are changing. Things are changing. I mean, I think things are falling apart, too. You know, in my talk, um, I'll read you this thing. Um, I, I just found this guy, um, Frederick Pollock, and he wrote this book in 1948, The Image of the Future. And he said this, mm. and so I started my talk in that gallery last week. The rise and fall of images accompany the rise and fall of cultures. Once an image begins to decay and lose its vitality, the culture does not long survive. So here we are in the shifting of images. You know, I think this kind of whole war god culture is, is shifting and we're going to a more great creatrix. So uh, I, I, wow. for me, it's the image, the image. I originally titled my book in pursuit of an image, but which was my guide star, but the publisher changed it. Um, so I just think we do have the shifting of images and the images legitimize political systems. Cosmological images reinforce political systems, you know? So I, I do think, yeah. you know, looking at what you were saying about this turning and turning and changes that I do think these other images are entering into the psyche and, and other older images are are falling apart, or they're not they're not yeah, holding they, the culture together. Yeah, a couple of years ago, we we saw the taking down of certain statues everywhere. Yeah, do you mean? Are you talking about the statues in the south? Or are you talking about like when yeah. the Berlin Wall was falling? I'm talking about. Uh, a couple of years ago, yeah, in the South, where they're taking down uh, famous statues and whatnot. Right, like the Robert E. Lee or all these Confederate yeah. soldiers. Re removing the old, the old ones and right. replacing it with new stuff, new imagery. Yeah, that's a very good example. That's a very good example, yeah. So, so it shows how the power of those images were decaying, right? They couldn't, mm -hmm. People wouldn't tolerate it. Some people, yeah. I mean, of course, there was yeah, so. some people who didn't like that, who want to put up their Confederate flags. <laughs> yeah. Well, we don't see what? the, the uh, Sheila and the gig getting taken down, and that's a good sign. Yeah, well, you know, sometimes these Sheila's, you were talking about the Reformation and something you sent to me. And when the Reformation started, that was sort of, and the Counter-Reformation, that sort of started 
the uh, end of the period or the epic of the Shilas, you know, from those five centuries, mm. because uh, this kind of Puritanism came in. The church tolerated them as part of the syncretism or tolerating the goddess, but when the Puritanism came in, they couldn't handle that. So many Shilas were just, we don't know how many, but some Shilas were destroyed, and other Shilas that was felt were hidden to protect them, you know, that, that people took them to protect them. And there is something about one time this priest took down that Sheila and the, the people couldn't take it and they made him put it back up. So that's partly what's happening now in finding them is were they hidden? You know, and again, some were thrown in riverbanks. So we don't know, but that's that there did start to be a destruction of the Sheilas, but they couldn't destroy them all. I mean, some of them are way high up on castle towers or up in churches, but that was sort of the beginning of the end, that Puritanism coming in. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Can't what wait. do you think that the world what do you think the world will look like if we start accepting the the divine feminine and and the matriarch uh back into our modern society and to bring like bring, not completely matriarchal but bringing that balance in with the patriarchal society if we started to go more in that direction what do you think would happen to the world what what changes do you think well i would uh, go ahead no that's pretty much it well, I would hope that there began to be a reverence for life and that there was a sense, again, of um, relatedness and empathy. A society that doesn't have empathy and doesn't have a sense of the sacred, you know, it, it just can't endure. I mean, we see, I mean, that was another thing about the pandemic. We see our social systems falling apart. They're not serving us. And now we're in the middle of some new bank thing. And I mean, I feel sorry for the people of Ukraine, but now there's just another war, more billions and billions of of weapons being sent there. And then there's this war here and that war there, that there would be more um, of a sense of community and connection and that people would, uh, that the money would be spent more on building schools and roads and the schools wouldn't be turning out children to be cogs of the machine of state, but to be cultivating their own humanity and their own imaginations. And, the, you know, if you find what you like, you can concentrate. I mean, when I was in school, I thought it was a prison, you know? I mean, it was a prison. Mm -hmm. So that there would be more humane schools, there would be, you know, universal education, universal health care, uh, you know, universal democracy, uh, that there would be just a, a much more caring society and there would be a cultivation uh, to be an artist would be so valued, you know, and that people would be, because everyone has an imagination, you know, I was a teacher at Santa Monica College used to teach literature, and I said, imagination, you all have it, you know, so that we would be cultivating these our humanity and more humane things and that we would uh, have more of a connection between each other and and that we could work out conflicts in a more um, civilized way. Like I used to teach a class on argument. Argument is supposed to be 
uh, a substitute for violence, you know, where you go back and forth. But now our civic discourse is so violent, you know, that you just get applauded to saying the most extreme thing. So, and then, oh, I would take the money out of, you got me going, the money out of um, politics that there would be no more, you know, lobbyists and, and that speech is money. No, that we would have... Uh, people in the government that were actually servants of the people rather than the oligarchy and corporations. So those are some of the things, just some of the few changes I would like. But is that oh, because of like the... Sorry, what? Is that because of the nurturing aspect of the feminine that you think uh, maybe our society has lost? Um, you know, more so than just because I would like to change a lot of things in government, but what is the, you know, if there's a more of a matriarchal society uh, where we acknowledge women for what they are and for bringing life into this world instead of uh, treating them poorly. Yeah, I just think the, how social that... structure, the social structures would be different, like what I was saying. And yes, nurturing would be, nurturing and giving would be a supreme foundational value rather than just read and taking what you can and that people would feel connected and caring so yes mm -hmm. and if we had all that then we would be caring about each other and we would be caring about the earth you know and we would be um creating things that were more serving everyone rather than well, I'm a corporation. I can just pour poison here or whatever that latest train wreck was, like Trump had taken away the yeah. of, of, I don't know what it was, the brakes on the trains. And, you know, so that, I mean, I, I'm not saying it's a utopia. And of course, it's not individual men. I mean, it's a social system that everybody is um, trapped in, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't know in your lives if you felt sometimes you didn't have certain choices. You know, in my time, I tell my students, used to tell my students this, hey, people used to get drafted, you know. How would you feel if you had to get drafted and fight in Vietnam or something? Um, mm -hmm. Just that there would be more of a sense of connectedness. And we would just shift in our values of what we value. Is it just, I mean, I love beautiful things and you know, I want to feel like I can support myself in a um, relaxed, comfortable lifestyle. But, you know, I don't need three yachts <laughs> or three people. Yeah. 50% of the wealth in this country. Well, there's a way we can be comfortable without, you know, obtaining all this excessive, you know, weight that holds us down. You know what I mean? Like maybe one boat, maybe just one yacht. Yeah, right. You know, that could be cool. Now I can get down with just one boat. How are you going to be on three boats at one time? It doesn't exactly. make any sense, you know? And, and yeah, uh, granted, I do have a, a little moped and uh, a truck. Now I think that that's good. Oh, you always got to have your little two, your two wheeler, you know? <laughs> but I digress. That's, um, but I, I think, I think that there's a lot of, um, Food, like food is one of these essential uh, things that I think is being neglected from our society. If we could incorporate a way to have more sustainable and free exactly. food given yeah. to people, yeah. th that would change so much of the game. But what is food in agriculture rather than the goddess herself? 
you know, associated wise. So I think if we could focus on agriculture and sustainability and giving people free food, I'd be better. Like, don't give me $2,000 a month. I could care less about that. Make me not pay for groceries. You know, give me the food that isn't saturated with Roundup, you know. Yeah, (laughs) I will pay for that. Absolutely. For, for all of us in California, like several years, I was driving up the five, I was going up to San Francisco, every 10 feet going up Trump, Trump, Trump signs. And what's the, what's the matter with supporting farmers and food? And then you just know that all that food is just um, poisonous, you know? Yeah. No, it's all, it is poison. It's, oh, it's so sad. Well, I think, um, I think we've covered a lot of ground tonight. I'm very happy and excited. Uh, and I, th- I would love to even potentially talk again if that if that would be of interest with you. Sure, I'd enjoyed it a lot. I, I enjoyed meeting you. And I'm just saying, you know, like not meeting that. I'm just Likewise. looking at this artwork you have in the background. I, it, I, I find it very um, beautiful, you know? Thank you. Yeah, this one sometimes will move in the, in the wind. It's a very simple piece. Yeah. I remember Dan saw it when I, when I was changing at another angle, and it was it was interesting. But yeah, these are dragons here. I love dragons. Oh, they're great. Yeah, these are nice. Thank you. Fun stuff. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to pay five million dollars for a Picasso. You have this beautiful art right there. I my friend, well, check these. My friend has made these, or she's given me these pieces that she's been making. Uh, oh, cool. She's moving from uh, Hawaii out to San Diego. Sideways. It's just, it's it's a lot of collage work. She does a lot of different stuff. She makes like record clocks and she does like flower pastel tables for restaurants in town. She's great. Uh, What feels better than to be connected with the divine fires of creation, you know? Nothing at all. Nothing at Nothing. all. I would love to go see the uh, Ashila and be transported into that sweet portal of consciousness. I'm down to transcend into that it's next level. It's an adventure. Oh, well, I really enjoyed meeting you and talking with you fellows. You too. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Good Returning night. to the womb. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. Uh, go ahead and uh, tell people again where they can find your work and material and what you have going on and coming up well the best thing is just to go to my website stargoody.com and I have a lot of Sheila stuff and another book I wrote about humor and the spirit of play but it has that icon of the vulva the basis of civilization essay and there's just a lot of stuff on my website so that's the best thing to do and it will be posted in the show notes, everybody. So just go and give it a click, give it a link, give it a like, give it some love. Okay, thank you. All righty. Uh, thank you. Okay, until we meet again. Yes. All right. Good thank you very much, night. Star. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And if you're not done with that, wake up. up.